Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding Podcast, sitting alongside my co-founder, Mr. Jeff Cannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Hey, if you do like the work we're doing here, pumping out three podcasts a week, bringing you free content, and you want to support us, um, head over to the podcast app on your iOS device and leave us a rating and a review, uh, preferably five stars. If you are listening on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. Um, and then, like I said, if you hit that subscribe button, it will notify you every time that we post a new piece of content. So we're having a lot of fun doing that and we're going to continue with it. If you are interested in our money management services, go to the invest with us link or the, the, on the header at focuscompounding.com and you'll get everything you want to know about our money management services. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about, um, um, I guess a way to think about valuation and a thing, a way to think about returns. And um, you know, one thing that we look for is free cash flow plus mm-hmm. growth. Yes. And obviously, we care a ton about free cash flow, probably more than most managers do in some capacity. Yeah. Um, you know, so I thought it'd be good to really demo out how we think about it and really um, how we actually put it into practice. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we care about is free cash flow today or some form of dividend today. And that could be a form of free cash flow yield or the dividend, or I guess you combining it, plus the growth and then plus the multiple expansion that you could get from a stock. Right. And I think it's a, it's a great way to think about it. You could really, if you think about valuing a company, I guess, uh, or think about its returns, do it on the back of a napkin, mm-hmm. um, which only simplifies the process. But maybe explain sort of how you think about it and this, why this is the way that we do it. So it is the way that I do it. I get lots of emails about this, and um, yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion about it. Yeah. So the big thing is that people will say, well, if you have free cash flow plus growth, then that would value predict returns that are much higher than what stocks actually end up getting. Yeah. And I think the confusion is coming from people are plugging in uh, growth numbers, which are like this year's growth, okay? So first of all, we wouldn't use growth that has any sort of cyclicality to it at all. And that's a question we get a lot. Like, oh, is it in the sales? Is it in the earnings? You know, if they're growing earnings by 20% a year, but they're only growing sales by 5% a year, well, it's clearly the sales that you use, not yeah. the earnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but also just things that companies like to talk about how much their growth is. It's only the growth of our prior peaks that matter, you know, and it's growth that's sustainable for the very long term. So I got, you know, I was talking to someone recently and they were saying, well, doesn't this give you like sort of infinite valuations on things, including things like Facebook or something? It does because they're growing at high. Uh, rates of growth now, but in a few years, they'll be growing at like nothing. Because if you grow that fast now, and when you're so big, then you'll be the whole market in a few years. And so you'll be growing at almost nothing. So we look at things about like how fast will be growing 10 years from now. Generally, when we're talking about it, we're not talking about something that will grow very fast now. And then you have to segment it down into like a DCF where you say, okay, I think it'll grow 15% a year for the next five years, then 10% a year for years six through 10, then, uh, you know, 5% a year for the next 10 yeah. years after that. And then I think I'll grow 3% a year forever after that. Yeah, That's yeah. not what we're talking about. We're generally talking about things that we think will still be growing at very high rates 10 years or more from now. So very predictable um, not, businesses. Not high rates, but the same sort of rates they're growing now. So if I say 
that we're predicting this will grow, if we plug a number where we say 6% a year or something, then we mean like 10 years from now it'll still be growing 6% a year. And uh, that explains why we sometimes like things like financial services companies or things like that, smaller companies, um, things that can grow more indefinitely, and also things that can grow through just raising their price and instead of doing a higher and higher volume, which is difficult to do. Very big companies doing a much higher uh, volume over time. Physical volume is hard. Sure. That's hard to maintain that kind of growth for very long. Yeah. Got it. So then I guess if you're going to take growth in sales, because a lot mm-hmm. of people ask that, um, what does what what is growth? Like what growth are you talking about? Are we talking about growth in free cash flow? Are we talking about growth in earnings per share? Are we talking about growth in sales? It doesn't matter. It's all of them. So if you are seeing different numbers there and you're really predicting different numbers and something's wrong, uh, that can be sustainable for a time if they have certain economies of scale or something. But if you're looking at a company and saying, okay, I think they're going to grow earnings by 10% a year, and yet you think they're only going to grow sales by 5% a year, there are special situations where that's possible. And we've talked about them before. For instance, if you have a, um, a theme park and you barely are covering uh, your, your break-even point, yes, you will grow your earnings much faster than your sales for a while, but that's just because the first few million dollars you do in sales just gets you to break even. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. So uh, it's very different for these other kinds of companies that people are talking about. So if you're seeing very different numbers on that, like like earnings are growing a lot faster than sales, something is happening, happening cyclically, or something is happening uh, in terms of economies of scale and you need to identify that. And so we do incorporate things like that, but we're making an estimate that may be very different from what the reported results are in terms of growth. Sure. We're, we're plugging in the numbers that we think are realistic. Um, and they're usually things like, uh, examples would be we think they can raise their prices at you know this rate of inflation indefinitely, or we think that they can maintain the same share of the market, and the market can grow. This this industry they're in can grow, you know, five percent a year, or whatever. It won't shrink versus uh, the economy, or it could be higher than that. It could be you know uh, population growth plus I- inflation, or or nominal GDP growth, or it could be even f- higher than that in some special situations. And uh, I've talked about those before. Like, um, but they're usually very small companies in big industries. If that's the case, sure, so they have a lot of a big runway ahead of them. Yeah, got it. So. Last time we talked about valuing a company, we used over-the-counter markets. Right. So maybe we can use this stock again to really okay. demo like this out. Sure. Right. So um, it's current EV to free cash flow. We'll call it uh, 17. So that mm-hmm. is a, let's say, 5.8. We'll, we'll round up 6% free cash okay. flow yield. 6% free cash flow yield. So if you buy the stock today, you get 6% because um, they do do a special dividend. Yeah, uh, the company um, has float, so actually yeah. they don't need to reinvest any of it into their... Um, so that's true shareholder capital. They could use it all to buy back stock, pay yeah. a dividend, or they do pay special dividends sometimes to um, get rid of the excess uh, cash. But sure. yeah, it, in this case, free cash flow. You can see that based on the EBIT and stuff. So the historical EBIT margin is like 30%, and now it's actually higher than that. But the free cash flow is 25%. That's telling you that something's very wrong there. Yeah. And it means that they're gener- that there's some element of float because they're converting an incredible amount of pre-tax income into free cash flow. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with, with things about when they're charging people and stuff like that, when they're actually receiving the cash. Got it. So you got 6% today. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, like I said, the cash you're getting today, some form of dividend, free cash flow, whatever. So we're yeah. using free cash yield you get six percent today right all right now we said plus growth so yes. you want to think about what the company can grow right right in a situation like 
over-the-counter markets, how much do you think they can grow? I think they can grow faster than nominal GDP because I think that stock exchanges... And, and what's like nominal that, GDP for those that don't know? I don't know, 5 or 6%. I don't know. Okay. I mean, nominal GDP is the total growth in the overall economy not adjusted for inflation. So it's the actual growth. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers that you see economists report is usually a real number, real GDP. So when you see them say that the economy grew 2 or 3% or something, they're taking back inflation of a few percent. Um, I say a few percent. There's been decades where it's 10% stuff but um so yeah i would expect i don't expect so you uh, think they could grow like six percent a year pretty conservatively yeah i don't think expect stock exchange to become less important to the economy over time this isn't technically a stock exchange but you get the idea and so i would expect it to grow faster or as fast as the economy um we know some information about them for instance we know that they've raised prices on some people and reported that there's almost no decrease in uh their um number of uh people who renew yeah in some cases so that indicates some sort of um some ability to raise prices without a lot of responsiveness to that um we know what kinds of things they charge on and we know that it's not generally this is not transaction based stuff so you might be a market maker or something and you're paying to use their um messaging system to use their data to use things like that uh generally it's not based on the number of trades you make or the amount of messages you send or something as it is for some companies sure instead it's more like a flat fee that you would use so unless you uh, the biggest thing would be like consolidation. So it'd be like computer services that there's fewer people on the platform, which would probably be mergers between companies. Then they need fewer subscriptions. But of course, you, you would think that they would just raise their subscription price to offset that. Sure. You know, the example that we give always is their biggest customer we know from the, reading the filings is Bloomberg. And Bloomberg pay the way Bloomberg gets OTC market data is it pays them a lot of money for it. And presumably they could raise that every year on Bloomberg and Bloomberg wouldn't stop using it. So, yeah. I see no reason why it couldn't grow 6% a year. And historically, it's grown, um, what, 10% a year over the last 10 or 15 years, maybe 8% a year sometime after that. I mean, um, we have data in front of us right now. Uh, The other thing is it breaks down in great detail the growth rates in each of the segments. And there's been growth in, like, all all the segments. And even when, in particular, when there's no customer growth they've been able to raise prices basically so there's just a lot of indications to me that they would have a pretty easy time doing that got it so we got free cash flow yield of six percent so you get six percent today we think growth they could pretty conservatively grow at six percent a year so you get 12 percent right there yeah okay uh ballpark and then the last part of the equation is multiple expansion Mm -hmm. now over the counter markets is trading at 25 times and we've talked a lot about you know a lot of times when people value these companies or maybe not these companies, but just companies with high multiples, it's a lot um, harder for a company to go from, let's say, 25 to 50 times mm-hmm. than a company maybe to go from uh, 13 times to maybe like a market mar- multiple or 10 right. times to maybe like 16 or 20 times mm-hmm. um, earnings. But let's go through you know the thought process on, um, on the multiple from um, over-the-counter markets. But again, we're already at a 6% return, right? And if you think mm-hmm. markets over time will do... Again, we're saying over the next 10 years, 6 to 8%. This is, if you kind of reverse engineer it, you don't really need the multiple to even change, I guess you could say. On a theoretical basis with what I just said, it should trade at 50 times free cash flow. But, uh, and I said something like that before, and it's true. Mathematically, that's true. If you were to buy the stock and hold it forever, and I wasn't wrong about how much it'll grow, because of the fact that the f- everything in the free cash flow converts to actual excess cash, everything they report in earnings really is free cash that they get this year that they could buy back stock. They could pay dividends. They could acquire something with it. They could pay off debt. They don't have debt. But they could do all those things. That's very abnormal for a company. So, 
because of that, they would be as they're as cheap at twenty five times earnings as most companies are at fifteen. Yeah. So I mentioned that before, and so it, it's deceptive. The company seems not cheap, but it probably isn't that expensive. And then it's just a question of how much you expect the growth to be. And if you expect the growth to be as high as I said, like six percent indefinitely, then you really do get a crazy valuation, like fifty times free cash flow that you should uh, pay for it. Now. I don't think that the stock will actually trade at 50 times free cash flow. But if I don't think it will, then it'll outperform the market if you hold it. If you buy it 25 times and hold it forever, then it'll outperform. But I've mentioned that before about other kinds of companies that happen with ad agencies. They didn't trade as expensively in most decades, in 70s, 80s, uh, half the 90s, uh, as other stocks, but they just outperformed them because they had growth and free cash flow generation because they don't have to put money back into the business. So if something grows all the time and it generates a lot of free cash flow like this, then, uh, yeah, you get a crazy valuation. I would never pay 50 times, but it is the question of, well, so should you pay 25 times? And I think we said before on this, I said, like, if this got to, what, 15 times or something, then it would be really attractive. But the truth is that 15 times, it would be incredibly cheap. And I think it has traded at something like that before because the stock has done very, very well. So there was a time when this was a smaller company that had traded at, like, normal sorts of multiples. But I mean, just if you look here, the returns on equity are basically telling you that they're effectively infinite. Um, it doesn't need to, I mean, they, they keep growing over time and that's with them doing nothing to have leverage. I mean, they mostly just hold on to the flow that they have. They don't even use it that year. So it's telling you there's no need for capital in the business. It's, yeah, it is telling you that it should trade at a really absurd multiple. Um, I don't like saying that, but it's true. So, uh yeah, it's Got not. It. It, I mean, there's no reason for the multiple to contract. Got it. So, okay, so let's go back to the calculations. So, mm-hmm. free cash flow today plus yeah. growth plus multiple expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, you just said, you know, 50 times is what you could see for on a free cash flow basis. But let's say um, multiple doesn't grow at all. Need to trade at that to have the same return as the S and P 500. Got it. Uh, that's what I, all I mean. That if you bought that today and the S and P 500 today and held them both for 10, 20, 30 years this needs to have a very high price to be equalized with the S&P because obviously the business is so much better than everything that's in the S&P. Got it. And what we would do if this company was trading at 10 times earnings and we thought it could have an exit multiple of 25 times earnings, right. what we'll do is you literally you could go into like MoneyChimp um, uh, money calculator, the discount rate calculator, and you could do the present value. You could type in 10 and then future value. You could type in 25 because you think it's going to, it's it's at 10 times earnings today. And you think that in 10 years it could reach 25 times earnings mm-hmm. and literally for years, you could put 10 years and that'll give you 9.6% a year. Mm. Um, you know, and you could factor that into your total return that you can expect right. now. So like, let's say we said free cash flow today, 6%, uh, growth, 6%. So that's 12 right there. Um, and then if there's, we're not accounting for a multiple expansion, right. a lot of times why you could actually outperform the, that math right there is because we're factoring this in on a 10 year basis, right? Let's say the market finds it out in two, three, four, or five years. That's obviously mm-hmm. where the IRR, um, goes up and why, you know, you can outperform. But I think that's just a good way to demonstrate for a lot of people. Um, just the way that we kind of try to think about returns and how you could almost reverse engineer it, where if it makes sense today without a multiple expansion and you think that the multiple can actually expand over time, that could just kind of add to your margin of safety. Yeah, you can see with this one, for instance, as long as it grows at about 4% a year and the multiple doesn't contract, given the price that you're at, you would get a return that should be as good or beat the market. So like, it would be safe to hold it instead of holding the market for a long time. That's the way that I prefer to look at it usually is to ask how poor could the future results be and still 
basically match or beat the market. Yeah. So how sure am I of that? Like I might say, oh, I think it can grow 6% a year, but that's just a guess. But if I look at it and go, okay, well, at this price, it only has to grow 3% a year. That's something that I could have a lot more confidence sure. in. I'd have a lot more confidence this company can grow at 3% a year forever than at 6. Because 3% a year forever with this company is, I mean, that's that could just be price increases. Mm -hmm. There's like nothing else. I mean, you probably could increase prices at like 3% a year for data type stuff like this. So that would be something I have a lot of faith in. And, um, you know, but then of course you have the issue of the multiple. I said that it deserves a very high multiple, but generally 25 times earnings is a high multiple for a stock. So you have to assume that over 10 years, the multiple won't expand while you own it. Sure. You know? Yeah. Well, if it goes from 25 to 50 over the next 10 years, they'll add about 7% in, um, you know, to the, to the return. Yeah. And if it's a hot stock or something, it happens. I mean, but I, I don't know why it happens. It does with some things. Like if you looked up FICO or something, it did that and it doesn't grow faster or anything than, um, OTC markets. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, but I think it's interesting if you come at it from like a reverse engineering perspective, you know, or you could see what you could even, you know, that's why I like uh, reverse DCFs, I guess you could say, see what the market's pricing a stock has to grow at today. And if you think that, for example, if it's pricing it that it's only going to grow at 3% and you feel pretty confident that it's going to grow at 6%, um, you know, that could make it an interesting idea. Yeah, and it's a way of comparing it. So if you have a stock at, you know, 10 times earnings, or let's use even more extreme examples. We bought things at like, you know, six, seven, eight times earnings where the math says it doesn't have to grow at all. Just the free cash flow yield plus a slight multiple expansion to, I don't know, 12, 13 times earnings, whatever, yeah. would be enough to get you a good return. So you, if you do the math on that, it's telling you that, you know, there's like no need for growth. And, and for some companies, though, uh, there are companies where I'd have a lot more faith OTC markets can grow three to six percent a year than that they can even keep their same sales level or yeah. the earnings level in ten years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's a lot easier for a company at six times earnings to kind of model out it, it growing to twelve times earnings for that multiple to double yes. as opposed from like I said going from twenty five to fifty, which is kind of the case for why we still and we like to um, look for you know companies that are trading in the, you know, 13 and under times, uh, yeah. Earnings. I mean, even buying at 10 times the expansion from 10 to 15 is pretty significant over even 10 years. Yeah. So an expansion in PE from 10 to 15 is, is good. So if you can find a company that you think is as good or better than the average business at 10 times earnings, the multiple expansion is significant. So let, yeah, do 10 yeah, and we'll then put 15, 15 over 10 and then years. 10 years is a long time. That gives you 4% a year mm -hmm. and that's over 10 years. It's very common that happens in like three yeah, years. I was gonna say, let's know? say you do yeah, three years, that's 14%. And it's just very common. It's, it's pretty easy to find companies that occasionally trade at 10 times earnings that you go, oh, this is a perfectly good company. Yeah. And if it's a perfectly good company, it'll eventually trade at 15. Yeah. yeah. But that's a good way to do it. So I think it's, it's, it's good to kind of think about returns from that perspective and really just mess around with the numbers. But again, if you're coming at it from a 10-year perspective, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you think that a multiple of going from 10 to 15 over 10 years is going to give you uh, 4%. You know, uh, for your return, mm -hmm. but it actually happens in two, three, four, or five years. You know, that's only going to add to um, you know to the investment. And you've always said that you think about it from a ten-year perspective, but yeah. you don't actually hold stocks for ten years no. most of the time. They either you turn out to have been wrong about it, or someone will pay a lot more for it much, much faster. Yeah. But to give you an indication, like take OTC markets. So it's trading at twenty-five times now. So let's do fifteen to twenty-five, which is the same as ten to fifteen. But so start at uh, fifteen, yeah, and go to twenty-five over how many years? Uh, ten years. Got it. So it'll be the same there you go so it's what is that 
uh, 5.24. Okay, 5% a year. So if the stock traded as low as 15 instead of 25 times uh, PE right now, then you're, uh, you could get the same sort of returns with much, much lower growth expectations. Yeah. So just to give an example here, like say you were very certain of 3% growth. Well, the problem is that 25 times earnings today, you need to be as certain of like 8% growth as you could be with being as certain of 3% growth at 15. Mm -hmm. It just, it changes the handicapping aspect to it. So yes, it could be a perfectly good stock at 25 times earnings, but it's so much easier to predict low growth in a stock like this. And so that's why it's so much easier to buy it at 15 times earnings. But you may never get the chance. And that's what drives people crazy. With the really good businesses, they go, it'll never trade down there. Yeah, and sure. it might not. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Maybe this would be a, a good video to like record our screen so they can see you know, what we're <laughs> yeah. looking at. But I want to thank everybody so much uh, for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself. If you like the work we're doing here and you want to support us, uh, leave us a rating review on iTunes. Hit that subscribe button. Thumbs this video up. We'll see you in the next podcast. Take care. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to follow along.